Today is Wednesday, July 8th, also known as the day that will live in cyber infamy. The day the cybers died. 2015, and this is episode 122 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How's your uh, How's your 401k doing today? <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm in it for the long haul. I just, I just look at, at the future. So, uh, I the, look at it. The stock market is on sale. That's how I look. This is the it. worst cyber attack in you. Oh, wait, no, it actually no. wasn't a cyber attack, was it? It was kind of like when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor. Yes, that's right. <laughs> kind of, I, kind of, just like that. Yeah, it's been a crazy day, and uh, yep, though the. The speculation, right? So we're talking about, in case this is like weeks from now and you hear this. First of all, United went down, United Airlines. All their flights got canceled, complete ground stop for some automation problem. And apparently their booking site was also down. I was trying to figure out what sort of correlation between their booking site and their flight dispatch systems somehow, I mean, I don't know about their architecture at all, but wow, that's a lot of, you would think those two systems probably didn't really touch each other much, but their their clearly. public Their public statement, at least as of midday, was <clears throat> that it was a router problem, mm-hmm. which I can only assume that the router was hacked through the onboard entertainment system of one of their planes. Using the Flash Zero Day. Using the Flash Zero Day. I, I, Absolutely. That's brilliant. In the galley. So in addition, the New York Stock Exchange had a hissy fit and said, I'm taking my balls and going home. For, and just decided to stop trading today. Yeah, for four hours. And about the same time, the Wall Street Journal went tango uniform. Now, many people are saying that the Wall Street Journal went tango uniform because everybody was going to them to see what was going on with the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, I would not uh, doubt that that logic actually, because um, uh, some of the some of the reports I heard was that it was actually up in the West Coast. It oh. was only down in the in the East Coast. So they probably have a CDN. That's what I'm thinking. Mm. So that, that that explanation actually makes a lot of sense. So uh, so yeah, you know, and, and uh, as of right now, they're uh, the the. Speculation, or at least the the official word out of the New York Stock Exchange, is that it was some kind of internal IT problem. They're not saying what kind of internal IT problem. Although, as I understand it, they actually have to file a report with the SEC about what happened. There was, and, and continues to be, some scuttle, which which I actually contributed to a little bit early on, because uh, not one of the anonymous, one of the uh, a copious number of anonymous Twitter accounts last night tweeted out um, something to the effect of, boy, I, you know, I, I, I hope nothing bad happens to the stock market tomorrow or something like something. To yeah, that I effect. saw that. And, uh, and so I was talking with um, 
was someone actually someone uh, someone corrected me and said you know that tweet was probably in reference to the Chinese stock market crash. Yeah, that that that's what I saw as well uh, from a couple of folks. So I think it was purely coincidental. I think is the the key there. But but we like cyber attacks. We want cyber attacks. We want cyber an- conspiracy. We want anonymous. So we need to somehow combine the word cyber and conspiracy. Cyberspiracy. Yeah, mm. yeah. There you go. Con cyber. <laughs> All right. Con cyber. Crazy Ivan. Anywho. Um, so yeah. So anyway, all these three things happened today, and and it, it's fascinating to me that now, much like everything was terrorism for a while, now everything is you know hacking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have the uh, you have the the parade of politicians trying to use this as a platform to justify their you know well we've got to have our in you know information sharing law passed and and yeah meanwhile blah, in blah, Congress blah. they're having hearings about encryption backdoors, which is. <laughs> Frightening. Oh, yeah. So great. It was. It was definitely a, a cybery kind of day. Yep. Yep. So uh, and, and we're late, right? We should have recorded this like three days ago. Oh, we're we're very late. It was uh, originally my fault, and then it was your fault, and then it was my fault, and whatever. Yeah. So anyhow, sorry for being late. Yeah, but we're here now. That's right. That's all that counts. We love so, you all. We love you all. We, we do. do. Well. Almost. Most, most, most of you. There's that one guy. Yeah, you know who you are. You do know who you are. Before we go any further, the thoughts and opinion expressed on this show by both Jerry and I, and any potential random guests, cats, dogs, whatever, are purely our opinions and not the opinions of our employers, past, present, or future. That's good. That's a, that's our please don't fire us uh, obligatory statement there. That's right. That's right. And you'll know. Kind of like a warrant canary. You'll know when we get tired of our jobs because we're going to stop saying that. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> or we'll just sell out and take a sponsor. Oh, or that, yeah. So and, and start saying things like, so, Jerry, have you heard about the latest from Palo Alto? <laughs> they do great with the cybers. Oh, geez. AVG would have stopped that cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness so yeah how about stories <laughs> yeah that's why we're here not that's, to just yeah. be silly right so it's been a busy week what, what would you like to start with sir so let, let us uh let us start with the double header we have on deck from the awesomeness that is the hacking team it's a big one it's a heck of a story yeah so uh so just for those who are not aware, I suspect many people are, Hacking Team is a quite controversial group. It's been controversial controversial for a number of years uh, for supplying cyber spying tools. Basically, think of it as you know malware or spyware that is for sale to law enforcement agencies, um, intelligence agencies, governments, and, and whatnot. Um, and there, this company in particular has had some trouble, I guess, because there's a there's a lot of people who really don't like the idea that a company like Hacking Team would provide their tools to oppressive governments to spy on their 
they're uh, citizens and you know that all that stuff but uh you know r- regardless uh they got hacked right and they got hacked in uh, in kind of the most spectacular fashion possible like uh, almost sony-esque except without the desktop wiping stuff so um uh earlier this week uh 400 gigabytes of data which apparently is a subset of a larger amount of data that this this hacker somehow came upon uh was posted onto BitTorrent and has been downloaded uh, you know repeatedly and lots of people have been poking around and finding all sorts of interesting stuff and that's kind of what where I wanted can, to can I, can I stop you right there yeah, and go ahead. talk about the irony of privacy advocates happily invading the privacy of the hacking team company <laughs> well you know because let's not stand on our principles of I don't believe they should be invading our privacy, so I'm going to invade their privacy. I, I just the irony of this is so strong. I'm not saying they're right, wrong, or different, but I'm saying if they're for privacy, why aren't they respecting hacking teams' privacy? Well, I mean, I think from their perspective, it's already done. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not uh, furthering the invasion. They're, 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 they've not hacked hacking team. Somebody else did that. Somebody else did the dirty work. Uh, clearly, clearly, they're just—they're just stopping to gawk at the car crash. They didn't cause the crash. No, they're digging in there for to prove their point. <laughs> the hacking team is an evil company. But let me just say this before we go any further: I can promise you, I've seen it with my own eyes. Many companies sell weaponized malware to many governments, including ours. So you could call our own government oppressive with their monitoring and everything else they're doing. So I'm not saying that these other governments aren't oppressive, but before we throw too many stones at hacking team, they are not the only ones doing this. No, and that in my in my view that's not actually the the point. That that's kind of a you know, a, a, wart, a wart on the story, a wart Fair on enough. the story. So what you're saying is I just wasted time on that point. Totally. Yeah, carry on. Totally. So um, uh, kind of a couple of interesting things. You know, I, I, what I want to talk about is not the, not the ethics or morality or anything like that, but actually, you know, what, what this shows and some of the, I, I think some of the concerns I have that come out of this. Uh, and, and maybe some more of the irony, like for instance, in this Ars Technica article, uh, apparently the CEO uh, sent out an email uh, back in in June, and I, there's there's not a lot of context behind why this email was was particularly sent, uh, but I assume it's uh, trying to reinforce the importance of confidentiality. Um, you know. It, he says, imagine this, a leak on WikiLeaks shows you explaining the evilest technology on Earth, smiley face. You would be demonized by our dearest friends, the activists, and normal people would be pointing their, or would point their fingers at you. Boy, that, you know, that's kind of, uh, it, it, it reminds me a lot of some of the stuff that, that we saw at, uh, at Sony, you know, where you, anytime you have your, your pot of email stolen you're gonna see you're gonna regret it it's just bad 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 juju yeah so um 
So anyhow, they're, uh, they're kind of going on. There's There's been some allegations about child porn, and I'm, I don't know enough yet to say one way or the other if if that is just coincidental based on some file names and whatnot uh but but there i've seen people on twitter allege that that is taken out of context and is not okay so i would not be surprised yeah i don't know either but i've just seen some people go holy cow look at how they're playing job porn other people go no you're wrong that's taken out of context that's not what that's doing so i don't know what to think but i've seen i would say caution on that particular item as fact for now until we know more. Agreed. Agreed. So, so the, the, I think there's two points to the story that I wanted to bring up. Number one is obviously hacking team was a company who had all, who had, I don't know if it's all their data, but a substantial amount of their data stolen uh, and apparently including like browser histories of some of their employees, by the way, which I thought was odd for uh, you know for, for things to be exfiltrated but uh anyway i i'm sure those there's more to the story there um but you know we obviously we don't know exactly how this uh this breach happened we do know that there's a lot of people gunning for them so it's you know i'm sure they eventually found a way in the other probably more interesting part to me and more concerning part to me is the long-term implications of the breach, right? Because hacking teams, you know, business was built around uh, professionalizing and delivering refined malware that was intended to evade detection and, and provide, uh, you know, basically the ability to spy on, uh, on targets. It was, it was, built for that express purpose and uh, you know apparently did a pretty good job there's some allegations in here or assertions that this may have been what was used to decloak some of the the child pornographers using tor and uh you know and there's bragging about how they're they're able to evade certificate pinning and hsts and intercepting tor traffic and you know and on and on and on but now with all this out in the open it's kind of a roadmap for any for any commerce, right? We know that you know the or- organized crime is probably I, I can guarantee you organized crime. You know the 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 people who are writing malware as a service, exploit kits and whatnot, are are you know digging the crap out of this thing, and I think our jobs as defenders are about to get a lot harder. And yeah. and as an example, one of the the, the other story we have <clears throat> is that amongst the you know, this four hundred gigabytes of data were two zero days. You know, early early on in the couple or a couple days ago, right? People were running through this and and they were kind of poking fun at at uh, at hacky team, saying, "Haha, you know, they're using really old vulnerabilities." in their in their malware and then all of a sudden oh my goodness they have a uh, adobe flash zero day that impacts apparently all versions on all platforms and um, they also have a privilege escalation bug in windows uh, zero day which is not doesn't have a patch either and so uh, actually earlier today adobe released a released a patch and yesterday in fact 
kind of in an unprecedented matter or manner, at least as I understand it, Adobe released a statement saying that there, this was out there without a patch, which uh, as far as I know, they haven't done that kind of an announcement before. So my, I guess my, my bigger concern, well, not, it's just another concern is we're still, we're still finding to this day, new stuff out of that, the, the big pot of data that Bradley Manning released how many years ago? And I don't think it was this big size wise. So, yes. you know, who who knows what the heck this could be a fountain of, of horribleness for a long time to come. I think though, it, a lot of good points. And I agree with all of them, uh, you know, kind of to jump off those, this is interesting to me in a couple ways too, that we are seeing what we always, always suspected that a number of companies are probably sitting on zero days that they know about. Whether they bought them off the market, they found them themselves, they traded them. Uh, you know, there are active zero days that are actively used and actively hidden, um, out there in the world. And here's a good example of that. So now we've got not just governments, but now private organizations that are, in theory, not malicious, quote-unquote, that are seeking a market in zero days. Which, again, as a defender, makes our job a little easier because those zero days are not getting reported to the organizations uh, to be resolved. Right. Um, you know, the other thing that, that I found really interesting about the story is how quickly these zero days were weaponized because of what was dumped made it, you know, I think I read an article that it was <laughs> excellent directions were wrapped around these zero days. Uh, <laughs> yes. Which, you know, if you've got, if you're like a standard organization and you've got an SLA of, I don't know, 30 days to patch, uh, you know, we saw this pop out almost within 24 hours of it being basically revealed to the world. Uh, and then the patch today, which again was probably heroic efforts on Adobe's part. And now you're going to go 30 days before you potentially 30 days before you deploy that patch. Um, when we're dealing with an exploit that is simply going to a web page. Yeah, and it has been it has been weaponized and it's been included in a number of exploit kits. The you know, probably the most significant prolific exploit kits, in fact. So there's other mitigations here, right, that, that we could talk about. Uh, turning on click-to-play with Flash is a good idea, and all the main browsers can do it. Um, a number of browsers have the ability to be more selective in when Flash can run. Uh, Emet apparently uh, counters this particular exploit. Obviously, does it? Okay. Good. Uh, well, you know, I haven't tested that, so take that with a grain of salt. But I, I saw that floating around on Twitter from one of the, you know, one of the... the security companies who was talking about this in one of their blogs. I could go find it. Um, but, you know, ultimately, this is going to keep happening. Flash and Java and other things like this are going to keep getting attacked. And there's other... We, we saw... I read another report uh, today of a number of other Flash zero days that were detected that they haven't been able to find uh, the exact culprit enough to be able to resolve it. They don't know what the exact vector is, but they know that it is flash and it's a zero day, that it's this is really vulnerable code. So if if you're relying only on patching to defend against this, you're in trouble. Uh, 
I have heard that Chrome Sandbox does a good job of finding this. Uh, the forthcoming Microsoft Edge browser's got a good sandbox for, for Flash and whatnot, and Firefox is working on their sandbox, so I think those will be helpful. But in the meantime, you know, it's kind of scary. There's other, there's other technologies out there. Clearly, a number of folks ran up and ran up the flagpole that, oh, our technology stopped this, you know, kind of stuff. But yep. <clears throat> Usual players, Bromium and Vincio. Yeah, yeah, but, you yep. know, that's good. But is that fortunate happenstance with this particular type of vulnerability or, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, my point being, we're going to keep having these problems. We've got to find a better solution than relying on simply patching. I agree. The other thing I wanted to point out from my notes is how good are we at organizations with spotting exfiltration? This is 400 gigs of data went out the door. Now, we don't know the time frame we went out. We don't know how it was trickled out. We don't know anything about how it was transferred. But that's an interesting use case to run through your organization. Hey, if we had 400 gigs go out the door, could we spot it? Would we know? Yeah, I was having that discussion on Twitter with um, uh, Patrick Gray. And, and you know, I I suspect the average organization would not see it. I don't. I don't think most organizations are actually looking that closely and and don't necessarily treat bandwidth as uh, as part of their security intelligence, you know. So it it is it is something to look at. My concern would be the amount of false positives. I mean, it's going to be really noisy. Depending well, certainly depending on on, you know, if your if your average uh, bandwidth usage is, you know, 10 megs and all of a sudden it goes to 50 megs for a day and a half, there's probably something going on. But, um, you know, I think for a lot of, a lot of companies who have higher bandwidth connections, there's going to be a lot of just natural variability. And, and, you know, maybe there's something bigger there to look at, you know, maybe some of those other variations are, are other concerning things that you ought to be looking at too. But, uh, I, I just generally don't think after every one of these big data breaches, you know whether it was OPM or Sony or this one, you, there's there's just a litany of people saying, "Well, how could they not see that? You know, how could you not notice 400 gigs or you know a terabyte or, or whatever of data leaving?" And I think the answer is probably that they're not looking, and I don't think many people are. I would agree. Um, I know most organizations I've worked in, we don't have the the capability to spot something like that. Yeah, and and it's not just a matter of you know, filtering at the edge for what you're allowed to send out. Um, there's plenty of avenues for data to get out, right? So even if you're doing good egress filtering, it's easy to get data out of your organization from the inside. You know, there's a thousand different ways they could do it. So that's not going to stop it. It's more a matter of some sort of anomaly detection, bandwidth profiling, something, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, honey data, honey, you know, honey records, things like that that are getting touched that shouldn't be. There, there's, yep. You've, you know, the, the bottom line is, and I know we're spending a lot of time on the story is, you've got to go in with the concept that the bad guys are coming after your critical data. How, how are you going to find out when they get it? Assume they can get to it. How are you going to know? Yeah, that's uh, that is the million dollar question for most of us. 
So, uh, so moving on off of that story, the next one is is a little bit related, and uh, it, it it comes to us from Security Affairs, and the title is uh, "Kins Malware Builder Leaked on Numerous Crime Forums." So, Kins Malware Builder is a you know it's another one of those malware as a service packages that lets you the customer uh, build custom versions of Zeus VM, which are intended, you know, look, one of the big problems we have nowadays is that no two recipients get the same version of, of malware, right? It's just, they're very, very often very targeted. They're, they're recompiled or they're obfuscated individually or, or any number of different techniques. And what happened here is that the, 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 the wrapper package, the, uh, you know the 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 manager, if you will, uh, that that lets you manage remotely manage the the bots and create new customized versions of the Zeus VM Trojan was leaked. So the sources out there, you know, yet again, uh, now we have a situation, another situation, just like the story we talked about, just like the the, the concern I expressed. You know, the the attackers are becoming, at least in my view, and I think we saw this after Zeus, the, the Trojan source code leaked a number of years ago, we we see that there's a very rapid uptake of the, you know, the kind of the best practices by all of these different organ, malware providing organizations. And, you know, and, and they're, they're cherry picking the best techniques that are the most effective. And it just, again, makes our job Hell of a lot harder. Yeah, it sure does. But to be expected. No, I, absolutely. You know, I... absolutely. Just uh, you know, as they say, watch cornhole. <laughs> so, uh, um, ew. Yeah, I know. I know. Might delete that. Uh, moving on to our next story. This one comes from Threat Post. And I know this was this will drive a little bit of discussion. It is uh, related to the cyber UL. So Mudge, apparently, uh, who dot Mudge to you, Mister? Oh, whatever. He left. Uh, he left Google uh, to go form this new cyber UL company. And uh, I guess it was at the behest of the White House, right? And and the as I understand it, at least. The intention is to test security products uh, and, and, you know, effectively test whether or not they, I, I you know, to be to honest, be fair, we don't know. Yeah, right. Very few details put out. We, we don't actually know what they're going to test for. There's been some discussion, you know, does it, do the products do what they say they're going to do or do they have intrinsic flaws or, you know. So we don't really know exactly w- what they're going to do. The, the 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 nomenclature of UL kind of makes one think that they're going to be performing certain kinds of testing. So I Mudge put out a paper, I think back in '99, that's right, um, about his view of what a cyber UL should look like. So a lot of speculation is based upon what's in that paper. And so take all of this with a huge grain of salt, but the concept is testing and certifying security applications and security tools to make sure that they're effective and capable and you know useful. Uh, my counter to that is I don't think that's the problem. 
I don't think the efficacy of our tools is really in question. I mean, antivirus aside, I think it has a lot more to do with how we are implementing and executing and engineering and, and operating those tools. You don't, you don't think that, I mean, I, I can understand, you know, I, I read, uh, I read Rob Graham's objection to it and ought to be candid. I think Rob completely missed the boat on, on his, uh, um, he, he seemed to think that the purpose of the cyber UL was to test general, the security of general software. And that I don't think was, I think it was backwards. It was the, the, the cyber UL is intended to check security, specifically security products. And I also don't think it's intended to be mandatory, just like UL certification isn't mandatory. Um, but but that's neither here nor there. I do think that, I mean, let's say, let's pick on DLP. You know, well, does it work or doesn't it work? Let's pick on, I don't know, pick your browser uh, virtualization technology. Does it actually work? Um, you know, I, I I think there are some things that are more are, are much more clear that they work. But I guess my point is, I think there's a lot more in that antivirus, you know, question mark bucket than might seem. Especially yeah. especially in the emerging technology area. So let's say this becomes popular. Let's say this becomes. You know, much like the Gardner Magic Quadrant, you need to be cyber UL certified. So, is this going to be like the recent government, you know, liability coverage in the event of terrorist acts sort of certification that fire I got? And people are going to have to submit major product versions. And so, every time your product ups a rev, it has to get retested. Is that going to slow down innovation and release cycles? I mean that's that is the that is the contra to the you know, and that to, to and that may be o- that may be okay by the way one thing that we have seen over and over again is that rapid innovation leads to less security in general right there's I'm not saying there's a causation there but I'm saying there's a correlation there uh, you know we've often said you could have a completely secure version of Windows if you wanted to stop adding features so. Right. I don't know. I, I just I fear the unintended consequences of, of something like a SRBL with the very sketchy facts we have in front of us right now. Yeah, it it'll be interesting to, to see it as it develops. We'll we'll stay we'll stay abreast of it for sure. So uh I know we wanna keep moving on. So our next story comes from the federaltimes.com and the title is Contractor Breach Gave Hackers Keys to OPM Data. This is a follow-up to uh, a couple of stories we've talked about related to the the major OPM breach. Uh, this actually is a couple of weeks old. I hadn't heard about it until um, until recently, so I wanted to cover it on the show. Apparently, there's a vendor named Keypoint Government Solutions that was uh, that that also performs. I don't know if it's um, you know overflow or, or or what, but they perform background checks on contracts for the OPM along with an, a couple of other vendors. Two vendors last year, and I think we may have actually covered them on the show, were were breached, including Keypoint. And at the time, I think there were forty eight thousand. Yeah, that's right, forty eight thousand uh, employee government employees. Uh, 
had their uh, you know information stolen. I don't think we ever really found out exactly what information was stolen, but apparently also at the same time uh some credentials into OPM network OPM's network were stolen. Um and you know that's certainly bad. Uh, but you know, a couple things come to mind is this from a from a vendor management standpoint or, or a third party third party management standpoint, if you have a third party that you know that you're kind of integrated with and they get breached, right? Number one, you should have some kind of a contractual relationship that requires them to notify you. I don't think that was necessarily a problem because in this case it was all over the news everywhere. And when they do get breached you probably want to go and burn down the house and, you know, as far as passwords and credentials and start over with them or, you know, at least reset it, whatever. But uh, apparently that didn't happen because it was, uh, you know, as I I understand the timeline, uh, Keypoint was breached last fall and OPM was breached this spring. So there were a number of months uh, in between. Yeah, that's crazy. I. What do you say to that other than, come on, guys? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it does allow us to kind of dig into the concept of privileged, sorry, not privileged, but, you know, valid credential being used to come in and do something bad is a lot tougher nut to crack than somebody doing an exploit in your environment. So if they've already got a, a normal... Uh, you know, a normal account to come in with, that's going to look pretty, pretty legit unless you're profiling behavior and saying, wow, nobody's ever come from this IP address before with that account or nobody really does that at two in the morning, something like that. It's, right. you know, or going two-factor. Yeah, I was going to say, once again, two-factor would have probably helped here. But, um, yeah, uh, ben, you know, I, th- I think... Between 2014 and 2015, we are certainly coming to realize the liability and risk that these, you know, the, these vendors and counterparties who have access to your systems can pose. And you know, you really, we really, just collectively as an industry, I think we need to get better at understanding that risk and managing it better. So, anyhow. Um, uh, I think that is, uh, that's actually the last story we had. So uh, anything else you wanted to cover? No, I mean, there's a lot going on. Uh, you know, we'll probably be back again in a couple of days for our normal time slots. So, uh, we can certainly cover it then. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much everyone for listening as always. We definitely appreciate you. And, uh, one more shout out. Thank you to everyone who's donated to our Patreon campaign. That is uh, really, really great. A reminder, you can find the show on the internet and our uh, show notes, which include links to all the stories we've talked about, at our website, www.defensivesecurity.org. You can find the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Callet on Twitter at Lurg, and you can follow me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And with that, we will uh, talk to you again next time. Thanks, everybody. Always appreciate your listening. Talk to you soon. Take care. I would taser them in their face. Yeah, they're in Michigan right now, so it'd Mm -hmm. be a really long taser cord.
That's why they have drones. <laughs> now there's an idea. <laughs> a drone mount or a taser uh, mounted on a drone. I like it. I think I think it's a fine plan. Seems like a great idea. Innovation right there. This is how we come up with our next million dollar idea. Where's the VCs? Uh, I hear you. <laughs> Look out, Elon Musk. Here we come. <laughs> I am waiting for Star Wars from the Empire perspective. Seriously. Why not? Because they're just trying to enforce laws and, and have like a stable galaxy. and Exactly. Some kids keep blowing up their shit. Exactly. Exactly. And wasting their money and mm-hmm. <clears throat> they're just trying to protect their citizens. You know, the Death Star plans were stolen by their version of Snowden, you know. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Went up on Empire WikiLeaks. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.